Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. in a series on Joshua. Joshua is really the sixth book of the Old Testament. When you, when you look at how the Bible was kind of laid out and written, Joshua is the first of the history books. And really, um, it's this fascinating book, and it has so many dynamic things going on. It's really the big story about how the Israelites go into the promised land after being slaves in Egypt for 400 plus years. And, and what, what God tells Joshua is, is, oh, by the way, when you get there, there's nothing but giants and fortified cities and bad guys, and it's, you're going to have a fight on your hands. You're going to have a challenge on your hands, but like, you got this because I'm with you. And the whole first chapter is really God, like really, I think putting Joshua's insecurities at ease because really he's standing in the shadow of Moses, who's the greatest leader in the world at that time. And then he's on the brink of the greatest like set of obstacles he's ever seen in his life. And he's really insecure, which you and I both would be too. And God just calms his nerves and says, Hey, you got this. Be strong, be courageous. I'm with you. And then as we move forward, last week we had this fascinating story. Uh, there's this really, really story that the Bible just does not shy away from. As a matter of fact, not only does it not shy away from, it goes out of its way to put this unique and dynamic story of grace in there about a prostitute named Rahab finding salvation through God's God. It's just incredible. And, and now we kind of move forward in the story because if you were here last week, you know that like Rahab was in a city called Jericho. Everybody say Jericho. And the reason why the little crack in the walls is going on is because the most famous story in the book of Joshua is the story of Jericho. How many of you grew up in church as a little kid, heard the story of Jericho? Okay, so here's how it goes. Because I'm going to give you like a brief overview of the story, and then we're going to work through it piece by piece and look at the insight that is in there. And so really the story of Joshua is this, is that Jericho was this incredibly fortified and walled city. And Joshua and the Israelites come up to it and they're like, man, what are we going to do? We can't overcome this incredible walled city. And God gives them these weird instructions and say, hey, here's what you're going to do. You're going to walk around it, you know, every day for six days. And then on the seventh day, you're going to walk around it seven times. And then you're going to like blow a, a ram's horn and you're all going to shout. And it sounds ridiculous. It's like, this is the worst military strategy ever. <laughs> And, 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 and then they shout, and when you shout, this is what God tells them, it's nuts. You, when you shout, the walls will come down. And you're like, what? Okay. And, and then the walls come down, and then, of course, the Israelites march in and take victory. And this, that's, the, that's the incredible, almost unbelievable story of Jericho and the walls of Jericho. And if you have a hard time, like, looking back on the Bible and, like, oh, is this just kind of like, you know, legend and folklore and all this stuff. Let me, let me help you out real quick here because this is what's fascinating is that they've been doing um, archaeological digs really since like the 1900s, like, like literally like 1903, 1904. There was a, a gentleman that went in, started excavating. Um, later in the 30s, a woman archaeologist came in and did more excavating. And then after that, like a team of Germans came in in the 50s and they're actually back there excavating it now. And they've excavated about 50% of this area. And now here's what's fascinating because archaeology cannot tell you that God did this. It, it can't tell you that. It just shows you evidence and science. And here's some of the cool, unique stuff in archaeology that they discovered. What they have discovered and everybody's in agreement on is this. There was a city named Jericho. Because like up until about like, you know, the late 1800s, 1900, like they, they never found the city. Well, they found the city. Because how many know like when 
you have a whole book of the Bible that makes a big emphasis about a city and you can't find the city, you have to question that, right? And be like, really? They found the city, right? Not only did they find the city, but they found a city and it has walls just like the Bible described. As a matter of fact, the Bible doesn't even really get into the detail of it. Let me tell you about the walls. The walls are crazy. So the way the walls around Jericho would have worked is the first thing that they had was about a 12 foot high rock wall. Then it had a dirt mud embankment that went up. Then on top of the mud embankment, they had a 20 foot high wall, mud brick wall. Then, it's not even the end of it. Then they had another mud embankment and then another 20 foot high wall. So you got 12 elevation, 20 elevation, 20. You've been walking around that wall like this. Like you better look straight or you're gonna get a crick in your neck by the time you get around that thing. And this was this incredible, and, and so here's some of the other stuff that they found. Because they're like, okay, all right, so fine. We found a city, and the city had walls. But what, what all does that really prove? And what they found was, is that the walls had been toppled over. And they didn't fall inward, they fell outward. Which is really, really strange, because normally it, it doesn't exactly work like that. And, and then what they found was, is because the Bible describes the walls being pressed down, and the army going up them, because that was what was fascinating, is that the walls went this way and basically build it, or, or, or created a ramp effect that the army was able to go up, because the scripture says very specifically they went up into the city. It's because they had to go up into, you know, over, the, over the mess of the walls. Not only that, it talked about them after they, after they took the city, um, they, they just burned the city down. They just burned it. And so then there's burn marks. So when they go through and they excavate and they find, you'll see like, and there's pictures and video documentary of all this stuff, and you'll see like layers of earth, and then you see this score layer where the burn happened. The other thing that's really interesting too about the archaeology is that, um, you know, there, there's this idea that, that they did a seizure around the city, but it only lasted for seven days, right? The other thing that the Bible talks about is that it happened right after the spring harvest. And, and there's just details in the scripture that talk about what time of year it was. And what they found was, is that inside of, of Jericho, when they dug it up, they found this, these clay pots and that they were able to date these clay pots to the exact date of the book of Joshua. And then inside of the clay pots, and they were like tons of them, it was stores and stores of grain. Now, the reason why this is important is because if you were to seize a city, the, the, the city of Jericho had a, like a, a live spring inside of it. So think about being behind walls, having water supply, and then having stores and stores of food. You could, you, they could have held out for a year but they didn't. And that's why there's all these stores of grain in there because it's only a seven day siege. And so in, in essence, like they've just found all these interesting facts and details. Now, again, they don't know how the walls came down. They just know that there is a city, that there were walls, that they did topple down, that the city was burned and that there was literally, and this is the other part about the stored grain was this, is because God specifically told him, when you take the city, you're not to plunder. You can't go take all the stuff. None of the stuff is for you. You got to leave the stuff because what army would go take a city and then leave all the food in there? Because you got to remember, this is an agricultural society. This is a hand to mouth living day in terms of like, you got to go harvest your food. And like, it's not like they had, they didn't have Trader Joe's party people. So just incredible, unique, fascinating details. Everybody say, but. But, I mean, that's just, that's just the history side of it. Because what we believe is this. We believe that although there's these historical facts and details that are fascinating, what we believe is that the Bible is not just historical, but it's insightful. Or, or let me say it like this. It's not just historical, it's revelatory. Not about their life, but about your life. 
Because see, what I know is, is that like, although they had enemies, you have enemies. And although they had to overcome walls, you have to overcome walls. Like you ever think about walls? Like what do walls represent? Walls represent a barrier, don't they? And then you realize like, man, I got walls inside of me. Like, because so, how many know like, well, we think about like the great walls of the world. We think about like, think about the great wall of China. That was made to keep other people out, right? And some of us have those walls, except they're not real. They're just invisible walls. How many of y'all got, anybody got like the invisible thing for the dog? <laughs> you like got the invisible fence and then if the dog, and then he runs back in. Okay, that might be mean. Californians aren't big on that. They love their dogs more than they love humans sometimes. So, but you got, you got, that's you. You got, you got invisible walls and walls are keeping people out. And so you end up with these, these kind of walls and these walls keep people from coming in. So like whenever you've had like abuse in your life and you have, you you now have these insecurities in your life and you have these fears in your life and you create invisible walls and you don't let people in anymore. And so because you don't know how to let people anymore, you don't know how to love people or you don't know how to have healthy relational dynamics, you've got walls up and they're invisible, but everybody keeps running into them every time they try to engage in a relationship with you. Other people have, because I mean, like sometimes you, remember like the Berlin Wall? Remember Reagan? What what do you say? You got to do the speech and be like, tear that wall down. Some walls keep people out, like the Great Wall of China, like, the reason why they had the wall of Berlin is to keep people in. <laughs> people were trying to get out and they had a wall to keep people in. And, and see, that's some of you. Some of you, it's not that you have walls that keep people out. Some of you have walls that keep you from getting free. So like when you have like walls of shame or walls of addiction, some of us, it's like a poverty wall. Like we have these, like these things in our life that keep us bound and keep us locked into low level living. And so again, the Bible is not just about them over there doing that. The Bible is actually about you right now and your walls. And so that's what we'll look at today. And today I just want to take a look like a little bit verse by verse of the major things of this story. And I want to share with you like just these six, seven thoughts that I think will change your life if you ever want to break free from your walls. Because here's what I know about God. God wants you free. Like for freedom, Christ has set us free. Um, who the sun sets free is free indeed. That when you know the truth, the truth will set you. Yeah, the CIA even believes that. So I want you free because I'm your pastor and I love you. And God wants you free because he's your loving heavenly father. And then here's what I really believe is deep down in your heart, you want to be free. You just might not know how to be free. Because here's, here's what I know about people and human nature is that if you could have fixed it on your own, you would have already done it. But there's something that you need from your heavenly father. There's something that you need the Holy Spirit to do in you so that you can tear down these walls in your life. And if you want to overcome the walls, if you want to remove the walls, I'm going to give you six, seven ideas. You ready? So we need to move fast because it might get hot in here soon. Let's, let's pick up the Bible verse. So in Joshua chapter five, before he gets to the city, Joshua has this weird encounter. Look at what happens. The Bible says Joshua was near Jericho. He looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And so Joshua went up to him. I might have not, I might have been like, man, I'm staying away from that dude. You don't just walk up to weird people with swords out. You don't do that. But Joshua's a military dude. He's a stud. He's like, I don't care. I'm gonna go talk to this guy. Joshua went up to him and asked, and this is what he knew. He knew that something was unique about him, that God had brought this person along. And this is what he says. He goes, are you for us or for our enemies? And the guy replied, neither. 
but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then Joshua fell on his face to the ground in reverence. Now, this is one of those weird stories where like everybody believes this is like the angel of the Lord. This is some type of angelic presence. And Joshua goes up and meets this angel type being. He, he calls himself the, basically the commander of the army of the Lord. And that's where we get that idea from. And he asked the most fascinating question. The most fascinating question was like, hey, are you for us or are you for them? And the answer is kind of shocking because it shows to you really like the big picture of the story of Joshua is not about, about God saying, I like Israel and all these people I want to obliterate. That had nothing to do with it. Because when he says, are you for us or are you for them? He goes, neither. But like sometimes we get black and white in the way that we think about things and we always think, well, God is either for this or he's for them. And we get very black and white about things. And he says, no, I'm for neither. And so what, what you need to realize is that, is that you don't live in this, like sometimes you feel that way. Sometimes you feel like, okay, God is definitely blesses the 49ers, but he clearly hates the Raiders. It feels like that sometimes, like, right? Like, like we feel like it's easy just to say that God likes these people and God hates these people. And that's not how it works. You need to be careful in, in like how you see the world and know that God's not for them or them. God is for all people. And God has a plan and agenda to save and redeem all people. It's, it's, it, God's not for them. It's not like God loves all the Christians and he hates all the sinners. That's not how this works. Actually, as a matter of fact, God loves all the sinners and that's the only reason you became a Christian. See the difference? It's not about us or them. It's never about us or them. And so, but, but what he does is, and this is the first point I really want you to see is this, is that when you need to overcome a wall and remove a wall from your life, number one is this, just fall on your face and surrender everything to God. Like, isn't that what Joshua does? Literally, he has this encounter. He's like, hey, is God for us or God for them? He goes, neither. He's just like, you know what? I'm taking off my shoes. I'm gonna get on the ground and whatever it is, I'm going to surrender to you. And the really big first principle that I want you to get to see is this, is that if you want to remove walls from your life, I think the very first thing you need to do is, sur everybody say surrender. surrender. Like, like, and surrender feels like I'm giving up, doesn't it? Like I'm a, a competitive person. The idea of quitting or surrendering or just getting beat, it bothers me. Like I, like, but I want you to know, like, I made at some point in time a paradigm shift that although I don't want to lose in basketball or golf or whatever it is, when it comes to me and my relationship with God, I want to lose so that he can win in my life because him winning is more powerful than me winning. Let me put it like this. When he wins in my life, I'm blessed. When I win in my life, my life heads down a path of destruction. So I want God to win in my life. And for the only way to God to win in my life is for me to give up and for me to surrender. And there's this idea, if you're taking notes, is that surrender is weakness, but surrender doesn't weaken you. It actually strengthens you. As a matter of fact, let me go and say this. Like, you have to be a strong person to give up because God gave you free will, didn't he? Like, you all woke up this morning and decided to brush your teeth or not brush your teeth, to wear that outfit, to not wear that. Well, you all wore some outfit, that outfit or the other outfit. So you, you have a free. And so what God did is God empowered you and gave you free will. But then what he's asked is, is for you to come back. And in all the free will and strength and pride that you have is give it back to him. And that is what actually strengthens you. And again, nothing under his control is ever out of control because the idea of surrender means, God, I'm just gonna give you everything and we hold back because either we're arrogant enough to believe that we know better or we're just afraid. Like if I give that up, what will God do? 
What will I have to give up? What's God going to make me? You know, I don't know. We're so afraid, but I promise you this, that God, with the, your best possible life is when it's surrendered to your heavenly father. Because father knows best. God knows best that God loves you more than you love you. That God actually has more wisdom than you have wisdom. And God knows the best life for you if you'll just surrender to him. And that's the what I want you to see is that, that, that this whole story begins with Joshua having an encounter with God. He's like, you know what? That's it. Now, what happens next? Verse, verse 14, the second part of verse 14 says this. It says, then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and then asked him the question, what message does my Lord have for his servant. So remember, he, he starts off by falling face down on the ground, just saying, hey, I'm a surrender. But then he asks an incredibly pivotal question. You need to, if you're taking notes, you need to get this down. Number two is this, is listen for a current word from God for your situation. Like, there are certain things in life that are generally true and on principle true, and they're just always gonna be true. Like, there's just certain, like the moral will of God, you never have to wonder, Right? Like, like, okay, do I, do I cheat on my wife or not cheat on my wife? It's never a prayerful question. Like, you don't ever have to be like, does the Lord want? No, 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 no. That, that's clearly defined in the moral will of God. You don't have to wonder about that. That's the, the moral will of God. But the personal will of God is not, do I do something sinful or not sinful? It's like, do I move to this city or that city? Do I take this job or that job? Do I date this girl or that girl? Or it, it's like, neither one of them are moral things. They're situational things. And what I'm telling you is, is that although most of life's decisions fall into those big ideas of like character and, and the principle of wisdom, every once in a while you run into a fork in the road and you need to know like, God, what do I do? Sometimes it's a relational thing. Like you, you need to have that hard conversation with a person and you're like, God, what do I say to them? I've got this wall in my life. How do I get over it? And what you don't need is a generic bumper sticker Christian response. What you need is a very, very unique and specific word just for you. We talked about this just a couple of weeks ago. How do I get that like right now, fresh, just for me word from God? And here's, here's what I want to tell you. I want to give you four things that I think you need to do. Four keys to kind of hearing from God. Number one is this, is turn off the distractions in your life. Like you can't hear from God and constantly be consumed and distracted and busy. God speaks in a still small voice, and if you're constantly surrounded by noise, you don't hear the voice. So at some point, this is why the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. Meaning like, sometimes you never know that God's really there until you're still and looking for him. Then when you become aware of his presence, you become not only aware of his presence, you become aware of his strength, and you become aware of his plan and what he's trying to actually accomplish in you. But you never get to realize that until you're, you're quiet and still. You, number two, ask a question. When, when you need a specific, like, I need a something, God, I'm telling you what, you need to ask a question. There's, two, there's a couple ways you can do this. Number one, you can Google that. Um, <laughs> Y'all think I'm joking. I have people come to me all the time and, and, and this is what they ask me and they're great questions, keep asking. But they're like, pastor, what does the Bible say about X? You know, whatever, whatever it is that you got on your brain that week. What does the Bible say about this? You know what's amazing is, is you, again, I've been studying the Bible and been through Bible school, but you, you would not lie. A lot of times when I'm like, you know, I need some scriptures on, on, you know, X, whatever that thing was that you asked about. It's just like, hold on. <laughs> Give scriptures, just, just type this in, scriptures on this. Yeah. And you'll be amazed. Boop, it just pops up. You I'm not saying you don't need your pastor. <laughs> I'm saying you need Google and your pastor. 
Okay, so like when you got a question, doggone it, open up your Bible. Google that thing, okay? But, now, that's just one thing that you can do because the, the Bible, God speaks to us individually through Scripture. This is why sometimes you can read a Bible verse and you're like, uh, okay, that didn't, that didn't really do anything for me. And then sometimes you'll read that same Bible verse a year later and be like, oh, oh my gosh, that is amazing. So, so depending on where you're at in life, Scripture has the ability to speak to you. But here's the other one. Like sometimes in prayer, you just ask a question. Like, like I, I, I've told you this before. Like sometimes when you get to praying, you make a mistake of just, uh, you go through like your, your, your grocery list of what you need God to do. Stop that, okay? There's a part for that, but that's only one small component of prayer. Part of prayer is asking a question and then be quiet. And I'm not saying like, you know, sit in your room for an hour until you hear an audible voice. You may be there forever, Okay. What I'm saying is, is like, ask God, why is this going on in my life? Why did that happen in this relationship? Why is this wall in my life? What is going on here? And then just be quiet for a little while. And then guess what? Go about your day and be in tune with the Holy Spirit. And what you'll find is this, is all of a sudden God will bring a thought. God will bring an idea into your mind. God will bring up something in a conversation with another believer. God will give you this unction or sign or something. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, that's, what it, that's what it was. I've been asking about that. But I'm telling you, like, like you've got to be, be still and know that he's God. You've got to turn off distractions, ask questions. Here's another thought. Be sensitive then to these little impressions and unctions. Like whatever it is that God, like, like sometimes you need to write them down. Like, man, I felt like God was telling me this. Like, I, and write it down. And then lastly, here's the other one, and this just protects you from being a goofy Christian. Go get confirmation. Yeah, because like, like every once in a while I'll run into a Christian who hears from God four times a day, and I'm like, no, you have voices in your head probably. I'm just, I'm kind of kidding. Um, I love you, but like, don't, this, this is where cults begin. Just so you know, like cult, cults begin with people who read the Bible on their own in a closet and hear voices in their head. And that's where cult groups start. So I don't ever want you to like start your own cult group. I want you to be a part of New Beginnings. And when you feel like you read the scripture and then you share it with other people and you get confirmation on it, then you can know, okay, yeah, God's speaking to me. This is not just craziness. This is wisdom. This is truth. This is unction. This is inspiration. But I know that like, I, I want you to be a group of people, a body of believers that is always sensitive to the voice of God. Not just the general principles, but I'm talking about like the little moments of life where God wants to get you to move just a little bit here or a little bit there. Because sometimes that little bit, that's, that's the difference maker. Let's keep reading. So Joshua Six, this is where we start to get into like the military strategy. This is where God tells him, okay, now that you're at Jericho, this is what you're gonna do, ready? Brilliant, military, and Joshua is a military leader. So think about you being a general in an army and then God tells you to do this. Can you imagine being like a general in the army and then the president tells you, hey, these are, I'm gonna take over today and this is what we're gonna do. This is what he says. He goes, march around the city once with all the armed men. I want you to do this for six days. Um, have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And then on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Woo! Then the wall of the city, it's just going to collapse for you and the army will go up and everyone's going to go, you're going to go straight in. Now, again, you're a military strategist. You're a military leader and you're like, this is our plan. Now, again, what was the warfare? Well, like if you came to a fortified city in their day, what was the warfare plan? It was siege. You would siege the city. Literally, you would, and the Bible says this, no one came in and no one went out. And you would literally camp around the city and you would starve them out. 
That's how you would do it. Until somebody quit, somebody gave up, people were dying, and, and you would just, and then you would overtake the city, or usually there'd be like some type of compromise where they would just surrender or whatever it is. And God said, no, no, I got a, I got a different idea. And what you're gonna do, you're just gonna blow horns. That's, that's our goal. Just that, we're gonna win. How are we gonna win? We're gonna blow horns. That's what our strategy is. And, and here's my point. This is the point I want you to get you to see is this. Is determined to do it God's way, regardless of how unconventional it may seem. Now, like, unconventional doesn't mean weird, okay? I don't, don't, I don't want you to be a weird Christian. I really don't. Um, or if you are, say you go somewhere else. Um, I can't even give you a church name because then that'd be mean to that church. But, but unconventional doesn't mean, doesn't mean weird. It just means different. Like, like, sometimes God will give you a plan or God will give you a strategy, and it just won't seem totally conventional. But, but here's, I guess here's my big point. There's a lot of things about following Jesus that are completely in, uh, unconventional. Like, like, let me give you an example. Like, like some of you have financial walls in your life. You've got debt, you've got spending issues. Like you look at your debt and you're like, oh my gosh, this seems insurmountable. And then I look at the mortgage and I look at the kid and that kid's got to go to college one day. Or you, you start looking at all the things that you have on your plate. You have these financial walls. And then God comes in and says something like, hey, I want you to give to me first. <laughs> and I want you to give 10% of everything you have. That's my, God, what you're telling me is, is that the strategy is give away more so that I'll have more. God, have you ever done basic math? If I give away 10%, I'll have 10% less. And God said, that's not true. Just try, because because your 90% with my hand of blessing and favor on it is way more than your 100% all on your own. But you don't, you don't know that. And again, that, sometimes it's these walls that keep us locked in. And, you, 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 and, and you, I know what you think too. You have those walls of fear even that kick in. Like, I can't do that. You have no idea. And I'm, I'm just telling you, there's certain things. Like you have friendship walls. Like there's walls in your relationships. And, and like you have barriers between you and other people. And then, and then God comes in and says something ridiculous. Like this is what he would say, something like this. He would say, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You're like, what? Do you know what they did to me? I got a wall and you want me to do, do you know what my mother is like? Do you know what my dad did to me? Do you know what that coworker said about me? And you want me to do what? It's totally, totally unconventional. Here's another one. There's marriage walls. Like some of you have a wall, husband, wall, wife. And there's a wall between you. Like it's not connecting anymore. You're not together. You're not on the same page. You're arguing, you're fighting. There's all kinds of issues in your marriage. And, and then and then if you're a Christian, this is, the, this is the trap that hopefully you don't fall into. But if you're a Christian, you're like, well, you know what? She's just supposed to submit. <laughs> she, she ought to just do what I say. Doesn't the, pastor, what does the Bible say? Doesn't the Bible say? Well, you ought to read your Bible so you know. But doesn't the Bible say? Um, and what you don't realize is like, then the Bible introduces this totally unconventional wisdom. This is what it says, Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Like, so that's the key to breaking down the wall is you want me to just to give up and, 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 and you're, her just to get, yeah, like completely submit and surrender to the other person. Like give up, elevate them above yourself. Because when you have two people that submit to each other and elevate the other person higher than themselves, that put the other person's needs above theirs, when you have two people that do that, that's what we call obnoxious marriage. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. No, you go in first. No, you go in. Shut up. Somebody go inside. Just kiss each other for crying out loud. That's where you're like, get a room, okay? Why? 
Because you've got two people that are constantly elevating the other person. So the Bible has this weird, so you're saying don't win? He's saying no, lose, surrender, submit, give up. And if they're not doing it, you do it first. And I'm just telling you, like, un, there's just some things in Christianity that are unconventional, but it doesn't mean they're not true. Let's keep reading. Bible's fascinating here. Let's, let's keep going. So Joshua 6 verse 6 says this. It says that, so Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, this is fascinating. The Bible speaks a lot about this thing called the ark. Anybody watch Indiana Jones? Yeah. yeah. Remember the ark? They opened it and all their faces melted off. That's not true. That's not biblical. Um, it's just a movie. Steven Spielberg. It was awesome. It'd be cool if Reed, Reed did that. Anyway. But the priest, he called the priest and he said, take up the Ark of the Covenant. This was the God box, okay? This was the box that kind of represented God's presence with them. Now, God was not in the box, okay? It just represented God's presence with them. But listen to how carefully they talk about this. Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city, with an armed guard going ahead of the ark. Let me say that again. With an armed guard going ahead of the ark. Let me say it again. With an armed guard. And then what, in two verses later, it talks about not only was there an armed guard going in front of the ark, there was also an armed guard coming up behind. They called it the rear guard. So I want you to picture this real quick. There's an entire army, but they got special forces unit <laughs> in front of that ark and right behind the ark. So armies everywhere. But special forces here and here. And my point is this. If you want to break down walls in your life, make sure you protect God's presence in your life. Make, like like you, you need to go out of your way to protect the presence of God in your life. Because this is many times like why we don't get breakthrough, why we don't overcome the walls, is we lose sight of where the presence of God is. It's almost like, where's the ark? Where's it at? It's over there. Somebody's watching that. Okay, good. And then we go and we, we get caught up in our fear. We get caught up in our stress. We get caught up in our strategies and our plans. And we actually lose sight of where's the ark? Where's the presence of God? And Joshua was so careful. He goes, you don't lose sight of that thing. Uh, you got priests with horns and there's seven of them. And then there's two special forces units and y'all protect the God box. Whatever you do, don't lose sight of the God box. And it was their way of saying, you protect the presence of God in your life. And I, I guess here's, here's what I mean by that. This goes back to us. Like as your pastor, this is why I so want you to protect Sunday mornings. Like protect your schedule. Because like Sunday mornings is not your relationship with God. Sunday mornings just reflects your relationship with God. Does that make sense? Like it's, it's, it's something that you do. It's, it's almost like this. When you love somebody, you want to go and spend time with them, right? And so it, my, my point is, is that Sunday morning just becomes like your time to say, hey, God, I'm going to start my week with you. I'm going to protect your presence in my life to start my week off in the right way, in the right frame of mind, with the right heart, with the right attitude. It lets me start every week cleansing my conscience, repenting of any sin, getting right before you, hearing your voice, having my heart open to you, having that weekly moment of surrender so that I can start my week off right. But then on top of that, you might have said, like, protect your schedule, protect your time. Like, like if you want to protect God's presence in your life, start every day with God. Like, start, like, like if it just takes waking up 10 minutes early, wake up 10 minutes earlier and go find like a chair or a spot or a place and open up your Bible and, and just take a moment to be still and know that he's God, to take a moment and look at the, the scriptures of God and just to be so aware that God's presence is all around you. He is an ever-present God, but here's what we know to be true too. 
That even though he's in all places at all times, that sometimes he's in specific places in specific ways. And I don't know about you, but I want God in my life in specific ways. Not just all around, just because he's all, ever present. No, no, I, I want him like felt in my life, speaking. Into my, and the only way that happens is when I protect the presence of God in my life. Let's, let's keep reading. The Bible uh, goes on to describe them walking around the walls for six days straight. And then again, on the seventh day, they had to walk around it seven times. So I, I did the math. I think what they said was, is that when they excavated the city, what they realized was, is that inside the city was about six acres. Okay. So think about six football fields and you got to walk around that every day. Right. And now like, let's just say for a second, you're one of the people walking around every day and you're, you're a soldier. And Joshua has come to you with this brilliant military strategy. Hey, we're going to beat them to death with horns. That's what we're doing. We're going to horn them to death. We're going to blow horns until they're so annoyed by us, they just surrender. We're going to walk around the city. Can you imagine? I bet the soldiers are sitting on top of the, of, of the walls, like mocking them. That was my guess. Like, okay, look at you guys. We're up here. We have water and food. You guys stink. They probably said much worse. But anyway, number, number five is this, is don't, don't quit too soon. Don't quit too soon. There's definitely something too, like it takes some time. Like if you want to remove some walls in your life, it takes time. I've never met anybody that, that typically came to Jesus and had immediate breakthrough in every area of their life and all of a sudden their life was just perfect and all of a sudden they'd overcome every addiction, every insecurity, every hang up, every bad habit, every past decision they'd ever met. I've never met that before. Have you met that person? Was that you? I'd love to meet you if you're out there. I don't think you exist. All I want you to know is like some walls take longer than others, but don't quit. Don't, don't, don't like look at the plan and dismiss the plan because it didn't work on day one. It wasn't meant to work on day one. Don't get into day three and be like, this is lame. Why am I do tithing? He told me to tithe. It's been three days. Doesn't work like that. He told me to submit to my wife and I've been doing this junk for three months and she's gotten crazier. You probably invested three years of crazy in. It's going to take more than three months to get crazy out. Don't, don't quit too soon is my point. And, and you, know, you know what else is fascinating? I want, you to, I want you to see this. There was something very, very interesting in there where he says, when you walk around the wall, I don't know if, you've, if you've been reading your Bible, I, I didn't take the time to read the scripture, but it says this, whatever you do, don't say a word. If you remember the story, if you go read the story, it says, when you're walking around the wall, don't speak. They weren't supposed to say a word until they all shouted on day seven. Now, I'm assuming when they came back to camp, they could chop it up, play cards, hang out until the next day where they walked around the wall again and blew horns to bother the people. So, but he said, when you're walking around the wall, don't say a word. Can I just give you like a really, really good like life thought? And it's this, is never give voice to your negativity. Because I guarantee you those soldiers were probably like, if Joshua would have let him speak, you know what they did? Because I know how soldiers are. I got, I got buddies that are soldiers. You'd have complained. If you're a soldier out there, or if you're, you're a military or law enforcement, you ever complain about your boss? You ever complain about your director for it? You ever complain about it? Yeah, of course you do. They're idiots compared to you. But so because all these guys would have been like, man, Joshua don't know what he's doing. This is dumb. Can you believe this? This is the worst strategy ever. They are making fun of us you would have been negative. And what I'm saying is this, is don't give voice to your negativity. Negativity. Actually, what I want you to recognize is this, is complaining is the language of victims. Like being a complainer, 
basically is not you surrendering to God. Being a complainer is you surrendering to your circumstances. So he was just saying this, I know there's going to be a temptation in you to want to quit and to even become negative about your situation. Just don't talk. Even if you have a negative thought, at least don't give credence to it. At least don't give voice to it. At least don't validate it with your words. At least don't spread it to other people around you and let them pick up on your negativity. So just shh, shh, don't say a word. Because when you, and we know this to be true too, whenever there's a desire to quit and then we start getting negative about it and we start complaining about it, what we do is we verbally convince ourselves that quitting is the right option. And all God wants you to do is hang in there and know that it won't, it won't fall after one day. It won't fall after three days. I don't know how many days it's going to take for your wall, but for them it was seven. Let's keep reading here. Um, so Joshua chapter six, verse 16, the Bible says, the seventh time around, this is day seven. Remember they had to walk around six acres. At least it was just one time for the first six days. But by day seven, they had to walk around that thing for seven days. So the seventh time around, when the priest shouted, or the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 20, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, I don't know what they did. Woo! Probably like a Viking roar. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in and they took the city. Point number six is this. Usually you need to declare victory before it actually happens. He says, the city is yours. The Lord has given you the city. Was it theirs yet? No, they haven't even gotten in the city yet. And sometimes there's this principle, there's this faith principle that I want to give you, is that you need to speak it before it comes to pass. Like, like I'll give you an example. Like Jesus showed us this when he was in the boat and the storm comes and the disciples all flip out and they're all talking about the storm and they're talking about how they're going to die and the disciples are talking about the storm and they wake up Jesus and Jesus talks to the storm. Do you see how like he uses words in an act of faith to say, hey, I'm gonna talk to my situation and kind of, I'm gonna say, this is what the apostle Paul said. The apostle Paul described God as the God who gives life to the dead and calls those things that are not as though they are. I mean, you know how God gets things done? He starts to say it before it actually comes to pass. And because he's God, it has to obey his words. And he's saying, since you're made in my image and likeness, I want you to pick up on this idea. Sometimes you need to say it before you see it. And sometimes you need to say it until you see it. So like when you think about those walls in your marriage, I'm telling you like right now, start saying it, start speaking faith, start speaking life, start speaking what you want to see and say it before you see it, but then don't quit in the midst of it. Say it until you see it. There's another saying that we could go with. If you don't like what you're seeing, check what you're saying. There's power in your words. The Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so just be careful that, that not only do you want to like shush the negativity, but you want to do is eventually begin to speak the reality, speak the faith, speak the life that you want to see ahead of you. Let's keep going here. It's 1115 if you're taking medicine. So last point, this is it. That was six, right? This is seven. And this is something you can't do. This is an insight that you need to grasp. Are you ready? This is not something that you, all those other ones you need to do. This one you can't do, you just need to grasp. There's something really interesting that takes place here. And I'll, I'll just try to describe it. Remember when he said, Sh- everybody say shout for the victory is yours, whatever he said, right? Now, normally, if you were writing a movie, the way that they would do it is that Joshua would get up and say, shout, the God's given you the city. And then all the army would do what? Are y'all with me? Yeah, they shout. Thank you. 
So what's interesting is that the writer of the book of Joshua does something that's so weird that you have to take note of it, okay? Now, normally, if you are a leader and you gotta pump up your men to go into battle, like you don't wanna get into a long lecture. You wanna fire them up and then let them go, right? So the horns are blowing. You want them to shout. The walls come down. They're like, whoa! And remember, they all go crazy. The writer does something so interesting here, and it's so interesting that you need to understand that it's put here for a reason. Now, let's read this carefully. The seventh time around, this is what we just read. I skipped this part a second ago, but I'm going to read it. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. That should be the end of it right there. But it's as if Joshua, instead of saying, shout, the victory is yours, and stopping and letting them shout, which I think he probably did. I think the author almost stuck this in here because I don't think like Joshua went on like a long lecture. Listen to what he says here. I'm gonna tell you why he says it. He says, the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. They'd already been told you can't touch the city. You can't plunder the city. You can't steal the goods from the city. It's not yours to have. He said, so the city um, and all that are in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, um, the prostitute and all who are in her house are to be spared because she hid the spies that we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that all or so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them otherwise you will make the camp of israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are scattered to the lord and must go into the treasury and then it ends quotation mark right and my point was i don't think joshua got up and said shout the victory is yours but by the way i'm gonna give you five things to remember okay guys when you go in because they're all like this, and they're like, <laughs> and Joshua's like, hey, but remember, don't touch the devoted things. Remember Rahab, remember that. I don't think that's what happened. That's just my opinion. I think the author put this in here for a reason. And the reason is this, is that obedience trumps victory. He, he gave them victory. He said, proclaim victory. But something so weird happens. I need you to catch this is that he inserts this whole idea of, but don't forget these things. Remember to honor the Lord. Remember the instructions that he gives you. Remember to obey. And my point is this, is I believe God's saying, ah, I'm gonna give you the victory, but that's not even the point. I want you to realize like obedience is actually more important than the victory. I'll tell you why this is important. Um, I just had a conversation with, a, with a, a young lady and her story was a little bit heartbreaking because when you looked at the arc of her story, it was like, Things would go good and then something bad would happen. And then she'd pick herself up and things would go good and then something bad would happen. And then she'd pick herself up and things, and it was this continuous cycle. And she, she almost pled with me. She was like, pastor, why is it that I feel like I keep doing everything right and I keep trying to do it God's way and nothing ever seems to work for you? You ever felt like that before? You ever felt like, God, why, why does this keep happening to me? You know, it's almost personal. Why is this happening to me? And, and sometimes you're asking yourself, why is it that I tried to do everything right and it still didn't go well for me? And I want you to recognize that that's not how life works. Is that even though I believe God wants you to live an abundant life, I don't mean that abundant life is you getting whatever you want and living in pure bliss and happiness. I don't think that's what abundant life is. I think the most abundant life possible is the life where God is flowing in you and through you and you're living your life in the presence of God. That's the most abundant part of life. But we know because of how life works that life doesn't always go our way. It's not always easy. And you need to recognize this about your heavenly father, that the world is full of sin, that the world is full of chaos and not everything goes your way. But here's the good news. Like, you need to know that God's still with you and God's still working something out in you. And so when you get to that issue where you're like, I just want victory, 
One of the things that you need to remember is this, is that the purpose of life is not pleasure. The purpose of life is to prepare you for heaven. And let's be honest, us getting every pleasure we ever wanted will not prepare us for heaven. And so if you're in the flow of life and in the cycle of life, where you feel like I'm not getting ahead, just be aware that God could be working something out in you to prepare you for your future. That's why I want you to stay committed. That's why I want you to keep marching around that wall. That's why I want you to keep surrendering to God because that's the only way that you will see that eventual breakthrough. But in the moment right now, just know that your obedience right now trumps your future victory. I think the victory will come, but we're really, really careful to be obedient right now. So here's my question for you. What wall is in your life? As a matter of fact, we could just bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want to take a moment, and I want you to ask, and I want you to think, what is the wall in my life? Like, is there a wall that's preventing me from moving forward? Is there a wall that keeps me from, like, really trusting and obeying God? Maybe it's the reverse wall. Maybe it's a wall. Do I have a wall? Do I have some funkiness in my soul that, like, pushes people away and keeps people out? What are the walls in my life? This is where we need to hear that, like, right now fresh word from God. God, what is my wall? What's going on in me? And then here's the next thing I want you to do. Hopefully you're taking notes or you go grab the CD, you go watch online later. But like, I gave you six things that I wanted you to do. Now, I don't expect anybody to go do those six things because that's too hard to do. It's too hard to do six things. But here's what I want you to do. During this message, I hope and pray that there was at least one or two things that you're like, that's me. That's my step. That's what I need to do. That's where I've missed it. That's where I forgot. That's where I've lost sight. That's where I dropped the ball. I need to start doing those things. So what are the one or two things today that you need to start doing to removing the walls in your life? Because here's what I know is that God wants to tear down the walls so that you can be free. Let's pray together. Father, we bless you today, God, and we ask, God, give us your help, your strength, your grace. We are in absolute need of you, God. We need your help. God, we thank you that no matter what walls or challenges we face, above all, God, your presence is with us. We can be strong and courageous simply because you are with us, God. Help us to keep fighting, to keep moving, to keep protecting your presence in our life, to keep on surrendering, God. Help us to keep following you, Lord. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.